Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Hey, so we are finishing up a Genesis series. Uh, it's a mini-series that we did to kind of start the year off after the My One Word week that we did. And really just to pick a couple of major themes found in the first book of the Bible. And tonight we're going to have an interactive conversation pertaining to the character of Joseph in Genesis. And so throughout this series, our goal wasn't to do this expository, let's walk through the whole gamut of Genesis, but really there are some fundamental themes that God introduces in the beginning of Scripture that are so pivotal to the foundations that he continues to build upon them throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament as well. So many of the key teaching principles that Jesus uses come from things that we see introduced very early on in Scripture. And so if you are someone who traditionally only finds themselves reading and studying uh, scriptures out of the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation, then you're probably going to miss a lot of the, the root of where things come from, and you're also missing not only a lot of tradition, but a lot of really fullness of the understanding that I think God desires for us. And so as a church, we believe that all scripture is designed to be applicable to our life today as believers. So the passages that seem kind of weird and odd out of Leviticus have application to our life. It may be 10,000 foot up that God desires for his people to be holy and set apart, not literally that you can't get tattoos because that's not applicable to us, but what it does mean is that God desires for us as his people to be set apart as one example. Genesis is no different. There are times where you have to remember the context of who is the original reader, who was the text meant for originally, who was it designed for. There's a covenant that begins in Genesis, not only between obviously Adam and God in the garden, but then through Abraham. It continues on in the Old Testament. So there are these covenants. So what covenant are we in and what that relationship looks like? And then kind of understanding, okay, now that Jesus has come, what does this passage mean for me as a Christ follower? So if you're someone who likes to read scripture, I would always encourage you, definitely read throughout the Old Testament. Always be willing to ask those three questions, right? What was, it, what was the intent of it to the original reader or the listener? right, because a lot of the Old Testament was given orally at first. So what was the intent of the original person to hear it? How did they hear it? What covenant were they in? Where are they at in the story of how God's at work with his people? And then finally, now that Jesus has come into the scene and we kind of understand the fullness of God's plan for redemption, what does this mean for me as a Christ follower today? Three questions you can always ask throughout the Old and New Testament passages, okay? But as we jump into this, Joseph kind of introduces one of the most dynamic themes that I think kind of builds upon throughout the entire Scripture story, the narrative of Scripture around the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches on the kingdom of God numerous times. This phrase of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God comes up so many times in the New Testament. It's, a, it's probably one of the most predominant themes in the New Testament at large, but we often don't think about this idea of God's kingdom as we think about the Old Testament. Yes, there's 
kings, and there's also God as the king, as we read about some of that in the Old Testament. But when you think about God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, we often think about the New Testament when we, when we hear that phrase. And so I want to kind of go back to where, for me, where it kind of generates uh, with this begin the genesis of this idea. But I, you guys see what I did there? Yeah, there you go. A little cheesy. No one's laughing tonight. You guys are killing me. Maybe this wasn't that funny. All right, let's keep going. So let's go ahead and read through a couple of quick passages from Genesis as we kind of understand, again, the basic principle of kind of what God's designed for uh, Joseph, and he kind of leans into this story. In case you're not aware of, uh, we're in Genesis chapter 37. is going to be our first passage. We're going to read three verses uh, from this particular part. If you're a note taker, I'm going to kind of narrate the various points of the story and then hover back in for a couple points, if you will. So let's kind of begin. So real quickly, before we read this passage, just a quick background story. Uh, Jacob has a lot of sons. And so in this, uh, Joseph is one of um, the last sons that Jacob has. In fact, the second youngest son that Jacob will have. And in that, uh, we see all of a sudden there's this love and, and affinity that Jacob has for Joseph, scripture says, because he was born at an old age, Joseph became really the, the admiration, the love of his father and his favorite. If you know the story from the Old Testament, maybe a Sunday school story, if you will, uh, Jacob makes actually a coat that's this vibrant, colorful coat, and he gives it to his son. And it's kind of a, an award of like, you don't need to go out and do all this laborious work that your brothers will do in the fields. You are supposed to be set apart. You're my favorite son. And obviously, like any healthy family relationship, or unhealthy family is, is more realistic, this creates some obvious tension, right, between the brothers. And so J Joseph then goes on, um, kind of a little bit older, he's in his teenage years, and he actually begins to have these dreams and these visions. And so we're going to kind of pick up where he first has this interaction in chapter 37, verse 6. Joseph speaking to his brothers. He says, he said to them, listen. So I'm going to read actually out of the translation that you guys have up here. Give me one second. Sorry. There we go. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundles stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream, and again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. So here we are, very beginning of the story. Joseph in his early teenage years and basically has these dreams. We're introduced to this idea of, of Joseph not only getting these dreams, but kind of beginning to understand and not fully interpreting them by any means, but dreams are a part of his life at this age. What's interesting about this first interaction with the dreams, that we're going to kind of look at three different parts of the story, okay? The first biggest takeaway with this part is that Joseph absolutely says, hey, look at these dreams that I got. It is 100% centered around, look at me and look at these dreams I got, right? His brothers began to hate him, not just for having the dreams, but the way in which he talked about them. I don't know about you, but if you've heard this story before, it took me a long time because I've always thought of Joseph as this, like, victim in the story. Because if you keep reading, what begins to happen, and not to say this is any way 
justified, but Joseph absolutely is this prideful, arrogant, punk teenage kid that his brothers naturally hate him, and as a result, they end up throwing him in a hole, selling him to slavery, and then fast forward a few years later, finds himself basically in a, in, in a situation where he's having to um, work himself out of this indentured servant situation. So just real quick, the first chapter of the story is, hey, look at me. Look at what I can do, right? Not about look at this thing, what does this mean for me? What is God trying to speak? But it's, hey, look at me. Everything's all about me. And so often in God's kingdom, we start with that, right, if we're honest. And maybe, maybe you're unaware of that, but we all start with this, hey, look at these cool things that I can do. We have gifts, we have skill sets, we have things that God has given each one of us in the room. And so often if we're not careful, we don't understand the idea of spiritual stewardship, that all things belong to God and that we're his stewards to carry it out. We begin with this idea of look at this skill that I have. Look at this talent that I have, whether it's to grow a business, whether it's an athletic skill, whether it's a, a relational skill. We have these things that we often think, look at how good I am at it. And it oftentimes it prohibits us from being able to be utilized well within God's kingdom because many of us stop here in chapter one of look at me and look what I can do. All right? So we fast forward. So chapter two of this story. Joseph begins to, he, he's sold into slavery. He, he kind of works his way up into Potiphar's home. That's the home that he's in as a servant. Potiphar basically begins to continue to give him task after task and see how much of a blessing and just how much God's providence through the, his hand on Joseph causes Potiphar's home to just flourish. And all of a sudden, he becomes outside of Potiphar, the most influential person in that home. The Bible describes Joseph as a very handsome man, probably not too different from me. And so as a result of that, he was well-built, very handsome, right? You guys are killing me tonight. I'm never going to go up to stand-up comedy ever, all right? You guys have made that abundantly clear. Thank you. But Joseph is a well-built, handsome fella, and Potiphar's wife decides she wants to make an advance on him. Joseph doesn't just resist her. He flees the scene, right? The Bible doesn't just say as a quick little caveat. It doesn't say he turned her away. He says he ran and left the scene. Now, Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of basically attacking her. Potiphar has no choice, even though he doesn't believe his wife, but she's made such a public scene that he has to put Joseph in jail. So Joseph is then sent back into prison, where all of a sudden we meet kind of his next critical part of the story with the dreams. In the prison that he's in, once Potiphar sent him there, the butler also known as the cupbearer, and the baker for Pharaoh, basically they irritate Pharaoh. They frustrate him. He's ticked off with them. And so they put them, he, he puts both of those guys in prison. So these three guys are in prison, and they begin to talk about having these dreams. And so we're not going to get into the interpretation of what all these dreams are, but I do want to read the verse here for you. I'm just going to read it up here, actually, if you don't mind, Kelly, off the, yep, perfect. Genesis 40, verse 8. So they, they, um, Yep, so let's see. I'm going to read the whole text here. Sorry. One second. Nope, it's okay. Oh, nice. You're the best. Perfect. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business. Joseph replied, go ahead and tell me your dreams. Leave that last slide up there. So this is the part of the story where Joseph begins to think, hey, this is absolutely God's God's ability, he's given me 
to interpret dreams. This is, this is God's business. But tell me your dreams. Interesting, right, how he phrases that, that last part of the verse. He's now gone from this idea of, hey, I'm, I'm awesome. Everyone bows down to me. The universe revolves around me. To, hey, God and I, we're cool. We share ownership over this. Like, it's God's business, but tell me what's going on. There's this idea that all of a sudden that Joseph is trying to share the, the authority with God in the process. He wants to keep some part of it reserved. Yes, it's God's business, but tell me your dream. I, I'm the vehicle that God wants to use. I'm still very important, right? So in this chapter, right, Joseph begins to understand not only that he has a skill and a gift, he knows that it's from God, but he has yet to understand this idea of how to humbly walk into submission of what God's best is for him. You can tell that again by just the way that he talks. Chapter one, he pisses off his brothers by the way he talks. Chapter two, although he's learned some Christian language to flare it up a little bit, he still talks as if he is the one in charge. He is still the one who is the carrier of the gift. Do you guys see that? So that's chapter two, okay? So then what happens is the butler slash cupbearer uh, gets appointed back up to Pharaoh. He basically brings him back in. The other guy gets killed, long story short. Sorry, spoiler alert, right? Cupbearer goes back up to Pharaoh. But before he leaves prison, Joseph says to him, hey, don't forget about me, right? When Pharaoh appoints you back into the position of leadership that you will be in, don't forget about me. But unfortunately, as the story goes, Joseph sat there for two more years, completely forgotten, in prison. Now we fast forward to the story. Joseph is now basically around the age of 30 years old. Joseph had, uh, had, had continued to sit in prison. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has these dreams. And no one can crack these dreams. He's got these mystics, these wizards, these board of advisors, people around him who are helping to kind of interpret dreams, give him advice, and none of them can interpret what the dreams are. And so one day while the butler was kind of delivering the drinks to Pharaoh, overhears this and says, hey, when I was in prison, maybe you don't remember, there was that time where I kind of irritated you. Yeah, yeah, let's move on. Anyway, there was a day in the back of the age where I was kind of in prison, right? And so because of that, I met this guy. He actually told me that I was going to be back in your good standing, and that's why I'm here today. So funny story, you should go talk to this guy. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph to come before, again, the most powerful man arguably in the world at this point in history, which is Egypt, right? The most powerful nation at this point in time, arguably uh, in the world. Joseph goes and stands before Pharaoh and listen to what he says in Genesis chapter 40, sorry, 41, verse 16. When Pharaoh begins to ask Joseph to interpret the dream. This is what Joseph says. He says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answers he desires. I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answers. Sorry, this is a different translation. Let me read off here. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Right? Same, same principle, right? Different translation. I took notes in two different ones. That's my mistake. But at this, you can see clearly in this that there is absolutely now, chapter 3, this understanding that not only is it God's, but that he is a humble vessel used by God, but make no mistake, it's all God at work. Right? Do you guys see the character transition in the story? 
When I read through the story of Joseph, just breezing through it, I miss so many of these because I get caught up in the victim part of Joseph's story, which is being thrown into slavery, right, hated by his brothers. Man, he just can't catch a break. It's how the story naturally reads. And I don't see that at any point that Joseph deserved what he was getting, but Joseph failed to ever fully realize until this final moment that this, this was God's destiny for Joseph that he would come and meet with Pharaoh, use his gifts. And as the story reads on, Joseph became the most powerful man not named Pharaoh throughout the entire uh, land. He helps prevent famine. He helps clean up the, the, the stewardship of the empire. All these things happen. And so this idea of God's, now fast forward to New Testament and also the whole overarching theme of Scripture. God has this absolute desire for his people that, he, that we use our gifts and skills, the talents and the things that he's given us for his good. That these are really God's gifts. Think about how you view your money. Think about how you view your home, the possessions that you have. Think about how you view your stuff, your time. How often is our mindset in chapter one or chapter two versions of Joseph. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christ follower. God can use some time for me when I'm at church, doing church stuff. But there's some over here that's still absolutely mine. I'm gonna hold on to and control. Most of us don't usually graduate from chapter one to chapter two all the way to chapter three where we understand that God absolutely, as our king, has designed his kingdom to give power and authority to his sons and daughters within this kingdom. But he's going to withhold the amount of power and the amount of authority that he would love to give us until we can learn to graduate our mindset from chapter one to chapter two into chapter three of the story, where we see Joseph's spiritual maturity begin to fully understand not only who God is in his life, but what God's design is for his kingdom. So my first question to us tonight, as you kind of have a conversation around your table, is this. Do you notice in your life limitations where things seem to not click? And do you draw a correlation between being stuck in chapter one or chapter two with the limitations that you feel? Do you notice there's a correlation between how you continuously don't see the fullness of success in something in your life and also your mindset with how you view the things in your life? Because I absolutely believe that God wants to bless his children abundantly with authority and power, especially as the bride of Christ on this side of heaven. But I also absolutely believe that God withholds that until he sees from us a spirit of humility, a spirit of surrender, and a spirit of submission. God desires for us to walk in obedience and to do that from a place of submitting to his will, to his gifts, and how he desires for us to fit into his kingdom. And if we're still trying to build our own kingdom, if we're still trying to figure out, yeah, but what about me in the kingdom? We will continue to be limited with the amount of power and influence that God's given us, which means that our ability to contribute will continue to be stifled. It doesn't mean that everyone who has success out in the world has figured out chapter 3 version. It also doesn't mean that everyone who's struggling hasn't learned humility and surrender. 
But a lot of times for us as Christ followers, there is a strong connection between understanding God's desire for us to grow in his kingdom and also our willingness to surrender, submit, and obey with our roles within his kingdom. Does that make sense? Awesome. So two questions I want you to kick around. One, is there, do you see a correlation, or am I off my rocket, right? But do you see a correlation between people and their successes, especially Christ followers, right? I'm not talking about successful business owners. I'm talking about just overall success, right, the general success idea. Do you see there's a natural blessing, a, 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 an ability for someone to, to succeed at things that they do pertaining to how humble, how meek, how surrendered their posture is? Do you see a correlation there from people either in your life or in Scripture? That's number one. And number two, my question would be personally for you, where would you say you are in this story? Are you teenage young version? Are you 28-year-old version of Joseph where he's in prison but still trying to share authority with God as a peer? And not to say that you fully arrived because even if you are in chapter 3, there's obviously work to be done. This doesn't mean that you've, you're, you're, you've uh, achieved perfection, right? But have you noticed in your life either having to learn the hard way or by just learning how to walk in, in surrender, where are you at in the story? And if you're in chapter 3, it's not about, hey, good job. It's about how are you then helping other people come up to chapter 3 with you? How are you helping other people understand that God desires to use them in his kingdom and learn how to help them walk in that fullness of surrender and also humility within their giftings. All right? You guys understand the two questions? Good to go? Yes? Awesome. We'll spend out 15 minutes at your tables discussing, and then we'll come up and do a panel discussion from the room at large. Thanks, guys. All right, so hopefully you guys had a healthy dialogue at your table, kind of unpacking some of these themes. We're going to bring it back in collectively as a larger group uh, for a few minutes of discussion. Um, love to hear some of your thoughts at your table, maybe something that, maybe a question that was generated or maybe a thought that was kind of contributing to this conversation that I think would be, you think would be beneficial for everyone to hear and I'll have Jeff or Connie kind of run around and help with the mic. So just maybe raise your hand. You want to go first? Sure. There you go. Either one. Go for it. Yep. Just put the mic up close to your mouth. You got it. Yep. It's good. Hello? So I would say collectively our table kind of was on the, on the fence with how you can go between stage one and stage three at any given time of your life. Um, and with that being said, I think what it boils down to is we grow too comfortable in stage three or we can grow to be too comfortable and it's kind of almost like a setback. You know, God will then move us to a stage one or a stage two scenario where it's like, okay, let me, let me regroup and get more better control of the situation and just find out why I was in stage three to begin with. Um, with that being said, it's almost like, um, yeah, shoots and shoots and ladders. Um, but uh, in a sense of how you can leave stage one to go to stage two, and from stage two to stage three, you know, it's um, it's never hard to go back to one or the other, and 
you know, even skipping stage two, I feel like you could go from uh, stage one all the way to stage three, or stage three to stage one, or stage two to just back and forth with it. Um, so I think it's fair to say that there's really no accurate, you know, I just like I know what I want to say, but it won't come out, so it's like, uh, but yeah. Well, so much of it's a mindset for all of us, right. right? So you're right. I mean, not only where we are, but how we choose to have the mindset to move from where we are to where God wants us to be, and that is huge. Because the goal, if you can leapfrog step two to step three, man, that's awesome, right? A lot of us struggle to give up that amount of control for God's authority in our life, so we get stuck in, in stage two, um, which is why that happened in Joseph's life for sure. Thanks, man. Someone else? Thank you. There you go. Can you, okay, you can hear me. Um, yes, we can hear you. <laughs> uh, in our discussion, what I came up for me, at least, was um, I was talking about how for so long I felt like attaining motherhood and being a mom was this, like, trophy that I needed to have and, you know, how could I make it, you know, happen for myself. And um, I really finally had to come to a place where, and I don't even know really how I got there, um, but I went to a doctor's appointment and was basically told that I was probably infertile. And shortly after that, <laughs> um, I was listening to a song called Control, and it was about, like, you know, giving up your, your control um, and letting God have control over, and I finally said, okay, you know, um, I'm placing this in, in God's hands, and uh, I am leaving this completely, you know, if I never have children, if that is never what God wants for me, then I need to be okay with that, because that's what God is saying he wants, and um, interestingly enough, I don't know that, that we had completely figured out that we, you know, both were ready for that, but it happened. <laughs> and um, I think we, at that point, you know, I realized, I'm like, wow, this is really was what, um, what God wanted for me. So I got to that stage three point, And then um, when we decided together uh, that we were going to have another one, I felt like myself kind of slipping back into that, you know, stage one or even stage two mindset where I'm like, why isn't this happening? And I had to, again, remind myself that if we only have, ever have Harper or if we have to adopt another child or if we have to do, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever needs to be done to have another child, then um, we will, then that's what God wants. And I am going to accept that and I'm going to be okay with that. And again, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, we found out about the sequel. And, um, <laughs> and um, so... You know, now I can say I'm I'm in that stage three place in, in that area, but we were also talking about how for women it's often the child thing, but it can be anything. It can be something spiritual, like wanting a spiritual gifting, and you're like, why isn't God letting this happen for me? Or it can be you want more power in your job, and you're like, why, is, why am I not there yet? And even though I think for, for Joseph it was more arrogance, you know, sometimes it's it's not. Sometimes in those stages, I don't know that you're necessarily arrogant. You just get frustrated. And so that was kind of the bulk of what we talked about. Did I cover all the bases? Okay. Thanks, Faith. <laughs> Sorry, that was kind of long. <laughs> 
It's good. Uh, at our at our table, Nicole uh, brought up the word surrender when she was talking about that. That's kind of the the thing that that lets you get to that point where you can say, hey, it's not about what I'm doing, it's about what God is doing, is to just surrender, whether it's your will or your ambition or, uh, or your control, wanting to be the one who directs the outcomes. Um, and she, she said trying to get from, like, I statements, trying to get those out. I'm not the one who controls everything. And we talked a little bit about um, how to get to that point. I know for me, I, I said my struggle is intellectually I know that it's God who brings fruitfulness to what we're doing. And it's not my job to bring fruitfulness. It's just my job to be faithful. And if I can be faithful, then God will bring fruitfulness. Um, but it's hard because I always think, okay, what do, what do I need to do to, to get the fruit to show up? And so that for me, that's, I feel I shared, I was kind of like a chronic stage twoer because I'm constantly thinking, yeah, this, I know that God is, putting the path out. God is showing where we're going, but I can't stop thinking, okay, what do I need to do to get us there? Um, so that's where I find myself frequently. So I um, shared at our table that uh, so much of this story is runs a separate idea for me. Um, it runs this idea that our family has been walking through for for a good number of years now, and it's this this uh, this idea of purpose, praying purpose. And so we were at a we were doing a family gathering, I guess a year ago, maybe uh, I'm not sure timeline wise, but uh, we were talking about uh, someone was talking about moving and praying for the perfect house, and I was able to share our process, which was not only praying for the things of our house that we wanted, but also praying for the purpose inside of that. And so for me, so much of this story isn't about the stages that you're in. It's about what way you're aiming. Um, if uh, at our table, things like financial decisions came up and making huge sacrifices on that. We, we talked a little bit, uh, comment, I made the comment that it's not like we want to wake up every morning and pray, oh God, oh God, what do you want for me to have for breakfast this morning? Because that would take a whole lot of time. But if you believe that your purpose, uh, one of God's purposes for you is to lead a healthy lifestyle, and you are aimed that way, that decision is made for you. You are acting on that purpose. And so um, the closer the closer our aim gets to uh, the movement of God and the aim of that purpose, the, the better these decisions line up for us and not necessarily that we'll get anything uh, back from it. And so in this story, uh, in this story, when Joseph is in prison, you can see even though he's starting to turn around, uh, starting to turn around and he's not nearly as arrogant, his purpose when he talks to the cupbearer is not to, his purpose is not to glorify God. His purpose is to get out of prison. So he looks at the cupbearer when they're leaving and says, doesn't give glory to God. He says, hey, don't forget about me. 
essentially get me out of here. Uh, and so he spends another couple years in there, and the first things that he's doing when he comes out is offering that glory to God, offering that his purpose, his placement, is because God has given him an aim. And so, yeah, that's what I... Should. Yeah, I think our, our motive is, in, is a huge part of this. Like, the motive of getting out of prison is a good motive, right? Like, we would all affirm that's a good thing to, to want to be out of prison when you're uh, unjustly put there in the first place, unjustly put there in the first place. Um, but it wasn't God's desire for him to be out of prison, yet his desire was to be used in the space that he's in. And so as we understand, even good motives, if not aligned with where God is taking us, still fall short of what God's kingdom work is trying to do. So I'm going to close things out unless either one of you have something to share. Awesome. So Jesus prays, uh, it teaches us how to pray in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, right, he teaches his disciples to pray. He says, pray like this. And he teaches them to pray that my kingdom would be on earth as it is in heaven. This idea and understanding of God's kingdom breaking through from the heavens to earth is something that we're not only called and asked to pray for, but we also have a role to play in this. And so whether it's an identity piece like motherhood, where you're learning what's your identity first and foremost, is it a Christ follower? And as a Christ follower, God allows me to steward by being a parent well, or is your identity the main purpose of being a parent? Right? Is, or is it, these are God's kids that God's called me to steward, and one of the things that God's asked me to do is to be a parent, or is your end all be all the fact that those are your kids and they're mine and that these are your possessions, right? Or is it this motive piece, right? Even good motives, but they're not aligning with what God's best is. Any of these things can keep us kind of stalled out in stage one or stage two because there is this idea of God wanting us to submit and surrender to who, not only who he is in our life from an identity piece, but what does he want us to do in our life from a kingdom ownership and authority piece in our life. So that concludes our discussion tonight. We're going to finish with a time of worship. I'm going to ask you guys to all stand. And as you get ready to stand, I'm just going to go ahead and, and introduce the stations to you tonight. Uh, in case you're not aware of, they're still here in this space. Um, we have uh, communion, and we also have the stone washing station here to my right, uh, your left, more than likely. Uh, but these stations are here as a place for you if you want to take part in the Eucharist, and maybe tonight you want to come back to a place of fully surrendering, right? There's that word surrender again, finding its way in the conversation where you want to give up something of who you are and be reminded of what Jesus did as the as our not only identity piece, but also this idea of bringing us into the kingdom as a disciple. So maybe communion tonight is where you want to find yourself. So taking the bread, dipping it in the cup, maybe tonight before you can take communion or just in general, there's a part of you that feels stuck in stage one or stage two. And so maybe there's a moment of confession for you tonight before you can do that. I would ask you to come to the rocks, write something on them, dip it in the water as a symbolic way of washing away that sin that God does forgive us, releases us from that place, and moves us forward. That's his desire is always to not only what we do, but
we become. And part of becoming who God wants for us his best is understanding that there's confession in our life to let go of the past and move into God's best for us. And then finally, if you want to be over here at the cross, there are things for all of us in the room. If we're honest, all of us could spend time with the cross where we find ourselves carrying things that we know are all actually for God to carry, but yet somehow we continuously find ourselves taking control back over this thing. So if there are things in your life that you find yourself constantly having this, this knee-jerk reaction to control, or something tonight that as you think about Joseph's story, you're having to let go. God, will you use this gift of mine? God, will you teach me how to be better steward of my resources, my money? Would you teach me how to use my time and my influence better? And you want to write the word money or influence or time or, or even your children as a stewardship of what God has given you. What is the things in your life that maybe you want to lay at the cross at the feet of Jesus tonight as a way of symbolically saying, God, these are all yours anyway. How do you want me to use them? So we believe that worship is about where we aim ourselves back. Uh, For all of us this week, we probably had something that naturally jerked us off the road, right, spiritually speaking. And so worship helps us realign ourselves back. And so whether that's through one of these responsive stations, through the songs that we sing, may you realign yourself in this moment back to who God is in your life and what God desires for you in your life. Let's worship.